Lisa Broderick. Today's guest is the founder and executive director of Police to Peace, a nonprofit organization working to help local police departments refocus on keeping the peace in their communities, calling on cops to find their inner peace officer. She'll also share insights about her superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me for this. This is really such an important conversation. I just can't thank you enough. Devin, thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm enjoying being here. Well, uh, you're kind, and uh, but, but let's jump in. Uh, first, I want to just start with this. This is kind of a foundational question for our whole discussion, so we need to get to this quickly. But uh, your organization, uh, Police to Peace, uh, is built on the premise that there is something different between policing and keeping the peace. What do you see as being the difference between those things? Well, historically, they may not have been, at least in some parts of the country. But I think I feel that we've lost our way. We've lost what the central, uh, the central tenet of policing is. In some sense, policing is community wellness. And we've heard about community policing. That's a real thing. You know, it's been around actually since the 1800s, Sir Robert Peel in, in Britain, the prime minister. But since then, brought to the United States and then rolled out as a way to engage with the police. In fact, the words police is part of the community and community is part of the police. But I think in a post 9-11 world and with everything going on and real threats, it's been operationalized in a way that it's just tactics. So a police officer riding on a bicycle is not community policing. Community policing is an attitude. I was told by one sergeant in a police department, police to peace is branding an attitude. And what's that attitude? We are, we are with you, we stand with you, we stand for policing that is effective. Every community wants effective policing, but it's empathetic and just. So we're really realizing the promise of community policing through police to peace. Well, this, it is incredibly important. It is incredibly important. And um, so let's talk about the activities. What are the things that you are doing at Peace to Police, Police to Peace, excuse me, <laughs> uh, that, what, what are the things that you're doing to actually cause that transition to happen? Well, I'll give you a little of background. And so it started four years ago in Jacksonville. I was living there. I'm a technology CEO by training and I was working with a company and I happened to be on a beach and Jacksonville Beach is a very, very diverse community. I loved going to the beach. It happened to be June 30th, 2016. And 2016 was a difficult year for policing, for shootings, a lot of very high profile shootings, a lot of tragedies. And as I was there um, among the waves and the children and playing and couples of all kinds from all backgrounds, a policing vehicle came on the beach, which was unusual. But at that point at the beach, the road met the beach right there at the uh, at the Red Cross Lighthouse Station. And I had a vision. And the vision was I saw the words peace officer appear on the policing vehicle. They weren't, quote, there, really, but they were there to me. And I thought to myself, wow, this is significant. I wonder why I saw that. It was the daytime and I was awake. So I called a friend of mine who is a, a social uh, justice minded person, an attorney and a constitutional attorney. And he said these words that changed my life forever. I don't know why they all don't do it. They're all peace officers anyway. And Devin, it was like a light, a, a bolt of lightning struck me down. And I'll tell you why. And that is there, you know, now it's called a social hack. A social hack is something that's clever 
and wonderful and changes huge swaths of society really very easily. The, the cell phone, right? Which is not a cell phone, it's a computer. So putting peace officer on vehicles and uniforms and using it as an, a way of framing attitudes for policing is a social hack that's very powerful. So that's one thing we do. We go in and we do technical assistance, it's called. We work with policing agencies to help reintroduce them to this idea of the community as part of the police. But also tremendous, terrible tragedies happen around the nation. And in fact, if you hang around policing long enough, something bad will always happen. Mistakes happen, difficulties happen, tragedies happen, shootings happen, people die. The communities needed to be healed as well. And so a second part of our work is community-based, where we go into a community, often after a tragedy, uh, terrible violence, or a police-involved shooting, and help the community understand, come to a place where they can join with the police and the police can join with the community to truly heal. That is, um, I mean, it's great work. It's incredibly important work, right? And uh, uh, because it's, it's such an essential element of any society, right? To have some respect for uh, the rule of law. Right, and that rule of law has to be enforced somehow, some way. But if sure. that is not done in a way that is respected, appreciated, uh, and really uh, approved by the community, uh, it becomes very different than the way that it's intended, and it and it generates disrespect for it the does. law rather than respect for the law. Well, and I think as we're seeing today, when there's not a belief in public institutions, there can be no public safety. And so, and the police are the most visible aspect of local government you will ever see. So without a belief, without trust and confidence in the police, then there is not public safety and we believe there's no community wellness. That's number one. Number two, when you talk about policing, yeah, I just, um, Americans and people in general, we're just not well behaved enough to not have policing, to not need some, side, some sort of response. As long as there's mental illness and drugs and, and difficult things that happen in plain old criminal behavior, we're going to need a response. But we're going to need a response, as I said, that's compassionate, that's effective, empathetic, and just. And that is the type of policing we're bringing to communities around the nation. Well, I'm so glad you're doing this work. Uh, it's just incredibly important. A lot of people, of course, are looking for some serious national reform. Why do you think national reform is unlikely? Uh, and it's certainly difficult. Why, why, you, why are you seeing that? What's the political reality from your chair? Well, the truth is, it's not even a political reality. Local policing is not governed by the federal government at all. Local policing is inherently local. States govern, govern local policing and then counties and then cities. In fact, of the 18,000 police and sheriff's departments, you will have 18,000 different sets of policies, procedures, attitudes, and types of policing. And so the federal government, what it can do is it, of course, there's a, there's a Supreme Court ruling about use of force, so we know that, but that's a Supreme Court ruling. There are no federal laws that govern this. What you want to do is you want to shape policing as a grassroots uh, activity where it's really of the community. And when the federal government needs to step in, it can do things in terms of funding, where it provides funding for certain types of activities. That's how community policing came to the fore in the 1980s and 1990s and do other things. But federal police reform is not 
it's almost it's it's something that people might like to take a sweeping hand to but this is not britain britain has a single essential police force essentially and they could change it we have 18,000 and we can't change it that way so it's not a political issue it's really a practical issue yeah that's that's a really an important observation um you and I have uh, a, a bit of a handicap when we talk about policing, uh, and I apologize for pointing this out, but you and I are white, uh, and yes. and experience as a result, generally, uh, and I don't want to, I don't want to be too broad, but but that white privilege, as some people will call it, uh, seems to be real. I, I'll give you an example. Uh, um, I recently went for a run in a neighborhood where I didn't belong. Uh, you know, it was a gated community, had a pedestrian pathway that was open. Um, and I went uh, for a couple of runs in this neighborhood. And uh, by the time I was done, I was making friends with people. Uh, you know, I was waving to people and people were waving back. And I was like, just one of the neighbors. At the same time, I kept thinking, if I had been an 18-year-old black kid, uh, chances are very good someone would have called the police to say, hey, this kid doesn't belong in our neighborhood going for a jog. And that's right. the kind of a good case scenario, right? Only they would... An outcome that was benign. Well, here's yeah, what we think right. about. So, so everyone uh, has biases. How are you engaging? How are right. you engaging with the African-American community, the Black Lives Matter movement to to address these issues in ways that are responsive to their concerns? Well, let's go back and think about the issues a little bit. First of all, bias exists. We all have biases. I happen to be biased towards women. I think women are going to be more effective. And I know a lot of police chiefs who would say if they could hire only women police officers, they would. And so that's an, that because of women, women are, are effective and efficient and also compassionate. So that's number one. We have our biases. We need to identify our biases and there are ways to do that. But the real issue, Devin, is justice isn't justice unless it's applied equally to everyone. That's where we go to go astray. And in policing, there's bias in policing because police are human beings, right? As an institution, I personally do not believe that it is biased as an institution for the officers I know. And by the way, there are 800,000 of them. They're not all a certain way. No, no population of anything is a certain way, right? There's, it's a, it's an equal, it's a distribution, and there's ends, there's people on both ends. With that said, to know our biases, number one, to really, to really uh, take to heart, justice isn't justice unless it's applied equally to everyone. In that case, if you know an individual might have had a bias against someone who was black running in their neighborhood, and then they may have called someone. The question is, is the police response just? Is it empathetic? Right? It, it you know, is it effective? What is it going to do in that case? So what we deal is we deal with the aspects, the practical, tactical applications of justice within policing so that it truly becomes equally applied to everyone. And then engaging with populations who are pointing this out, you know, it needs to be point out, pointed out. Social change doesn't occur just because people wake up one day and say, hey, this is a good idea, we should probably do this. No, they do because they're solving a problem. And we're solving a problem of unjustness in our own society which is part of policing as well, because they're part of the population, and lack of empathy in our own society, which is also part of policing, so that we can have good policing, as we call it. 
peace officer style policing, which again is empathetic, effective, and just. So how are, what, what are the activities you're undertaking to engage with uh, the African-American community as you build these community relationships and work to solve uh, the problems that we have with policing in our country? Well, I'll give you an example. This morning we were called in by a city which has had an issue, they had a violence issue and they've had police involved uh, events in the, within the last couple of years and they want to do something about it. In the meeting were the police chief and the command staff, but also community members who were very concerned. The first thing we do is bring them together and they asked for a prescription. And the prescription goes something like this, talking to one another solves amazing problems, but we don't talk to one another. And also we don't talk about peace. We've forgotten that peace matters. So in a community like that, the first thing we might do is do a survey, do a verified survey, which, which gauges perceptions of the police citywide, because the police definitely want to know, do people trust the police? Do they like the police? And do it on a neighborhood basis. So that's number one. Number two, then we would convene community listening sessions, very small listening sessions from five to maybe 15 people of all people from all over the community. We might do that by a by stakeholder group at first. So we might have a policing one. We might have a faith leader one and we might have a, a service club one. We might have some sort of other club one or a local neighborhood club. Listen to people's concerns. And once we've done that for a while, we bring the groups together. We bring in policing leaders. We bring in police officers into these conversations. And Devin, the things that people say break your heart, both in the out with joy and with sorrow at the state of our society and our interaction. But when we speak as people, those barriers fall away. And that is never forgotten by the people. So the more we can do these conversations, the better. Then with a policing agency, we have several programs we offer. One is called the Peace Officer Promise. This is a national promise, which every policing agency can take, which is a Hippocratic oath for policing. First, do no harm and to say it to community members and mean it. Say it with this feeling, we hear you, we've reflected on it and it's affected us deeply. And for this reason, this is what we promise you. When community members hear that, all decades of, of difficulty and, and suspicion and challenges begin to melt away. And then other programs like peace officer de-escalation training, which we've done, and peace officer body cam programs, which are not meant to be the actual physical body cam, but to find the training issues which result in the situations which are challenging for community members. Are the police officers really using de-escalation training or do they need better training on that? These are the types of programs we do for police agencies. Yeah, that's that's terrific stuff, terrific stuff. And I commend you for doing all these things, but the, the, the conversations with the community are just so important uh, so that, uh, people aren't left out uh, of, of, the, of the development of a solution. Well, actually, I'll say what one the, thing about that, and that is mm -hmm. town halls, we are very, very um, not, sent, not supportive of town halls. Here's why. The people with the largest megaphone drown out everybody else. And what about everybody else? I had a city council member say to me, 5% of the community members make 100% of the laws because they show up. What we do is we seek out everybody. We go find them. We find them because we're referred to them. So you're absolutely right. We want to hear all the voices and then create community safety that works for everyone. Yeah. 
as you uh, you alluded to something that was highlighted in a film that uh, I hope you've seen, but you may not. It's a documentary film called Peace Officer mm-hmm. uh, by a fellow named uh, Scott Christofferson. He's the the director and producer, and he was on the show a few years ago when when the show came out. I think it was in twenty. 16, 17, somewhere in there. Uh, and it highlighted the the militarization of the police. And you kind of alluded to this a little bit at the top of the discussion. It, it seems to me that that's a fairly fundamental problem. And training doesn't remove an armored personnel carrier from the police department. It doesn't remove some of the heavy mechanized weaponry and the the military style gear that sets a a police department at odds with the community. Um, Well, there are a lot of- How do you address that in, how do you address that? First of all, someone wanted that, a police leader wanted that. Number two, Congress, and they, which in a moment where they thought they were doing good, provided this equipment to policing agencies. And mostly it's desks and chairs and all kinds of other things, but it does include some of that equipment, right? So, so someone in the policing world wanted it. Congress thought they were doing a good service by providing it, but truly it's who we're hiring, who becomes the police leader who wants it in the first place. And that's why peace officers is so important. It's more than a framework, it's an attitude. It's who we hire. So what are the web, what are the images on the website that attract people? What does the website say? What are the press releases? What's the recruitment like? What is the promotion like? How are we rewarding these people? It all has to be changed. And our program does that from beginning to end because we are creating a framework that's an attitude that fundamentally changes the DNA of policing so they don't get the armored carrier in the first place. Yeah. That's that's great. How's it going? We haven't really talked about that question, uh, but it seems to me from some of the things you've told me offline, you're you're really reaching some uh, impact at scale. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, so the uh, the policing part of police reform, the issue of police reform is the scope and the scale of the quote problem. And that is there are just so many. There's 18,000 individual policing agencies of all kinds. Municipal, that's only municipal around the nation, governed by their own policies, rules, and regulations, city, county, and then state, very little federal. How do you reach all those people? So we had to devise programs for everyone so that it's policing that works for everyone and also for the agencies. So our one of our programs is the Peace Officer Promise, which we're, which we're rolling out in May, 2020. We then have an online training curriculum for Peace Officer in June, 2022, so that uh, agencies can learn on their own how to operationalize peace officer within their community for themselves. And eventually, Devin, you know, people who would want a certain way, although there will always be a a standard distribution of people who want certain things, the more we move toward this idea of the the police as part of the community and the community as part of the police, the more we will attract those leaders. The more police leaders who are women, who are LBGTQ, who are from all types of backgrounds, the broader the spectrum of policing we get and the more empathetic we get. So eventually, while as friends of mine in policing say, American policing is an aircraft carrier. And how do you change the direction of an aircraft carrier? Slowly and carefully. 
We're moving an aircraft carrier, but we are moving it in the direction of, of what we call good policing. It'll take time, but it's certainly worth doing. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, given all the progress you're making, uh, I, I've got to ask, what is your superpower? The superpower, is for, I, I was born a translator between worlds, and I always knew that. So when I was very young, I had young friends, three, four, five, and I loved old people. And I translated the wisdom between the two. And later on, I was in high technology, but I was a normal looking person, not a geek at Stanford. And so I translated between normal looking people and the geeks in high technology to this day. And now I'm translating between the policing world and community world, where the misunderstandings and the difficulties go way back. And honestly, communities have a point. Policing did not grow up the same all over the United States. In the South, it was slave patrols. But in the North, it wasn't slave patrols. It had happened more to do, had more to do with the Industrial Revolution. In the West, it was peace officers and Wyatt Earp and sheriffs. So all of this coming together, I'm able to translate in a way that people understand. And understanding breeds compassion, right? Empathy and compassion. So I'm going to apply that to policing to solve really what may be the most pressing issue of our time. How do communities want to be served by the police? Yeah, well, uh, that is a really potent superpower, that ability to translate between two different communities. Um, as you think about how you've been doing this within the, the, uh, the work you're doing now, can you think of a specific instance when you helped apply that translation skill between a police officer, a peace officer, let's call it, mm -hmm and uh, a community member. Can you think of a particular time when you actually really applied that in this current work that you're doing? Well, a simple, a simple question that comes out a lot, and that is community members are, uh, are very upset about uh, police brutality, as they call it. And I remind them that if they were the police, would they think that their job was brutal? Or is it something that's actually in the law that is police use of force? And is there inappropriate use of force? Is there excessive use of force? The simple turn of a phrase, the simple word can create understanding. The police don't think of that as police brutality. And for a community, we get, we understand, everyone understands why they would, and in many cases, why it, why it should be, it should be thought of that way in some instances. But to really bridge that gap, again, back to translation. So I've done this on panels, I've done this in working with people. And also, you know, the idea of, police targeting certain communities. In policing, when you think about an entire department of maybe hundreds of officers, there are many things that they can control and there are the things that, are not, that they cannot control. I heard a great story, which I told on a panel recently, and that was it was a city in the north, which had a, they, they realized that they had excessive arrests for people of color for resisting arrest, and they wanted to know why. And a researcher went in and found out that uh, that the police were not targeting people of color to uh, black people and Hispanic people to arrest them for resisting arrest. And those people were not inordinately resisting arrest. But at night in this in the north, it gets cold and people who were homeless would find a place to sleep. And the police as part of public safety would wake them. And in waking them, they would be surprised. And being surprised, they would resist arrest because they weren't quite awake. And then they would be arrested. And to unpack all of this and go back to, what is it we're really trying to achieve? 
We're trying to achieve a safe community, a healthy community. The solution to that problem is not to arrest fewer people. It's to build a homeless shelter that's warm in the winter. It's really that simple. And that yeah. is why community safety is the same as public health. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant example. How do you think you, you alluded to growing up with this ability to translate between young and old. How do you think you learned this ability to translate? I just think it was an innate superpower. I see, I see two sides of things. I tend not to judge. I tend to take information in. My mother was an economist by training. And what do economists do? They study the behavior of people in order to predict outcomes and know why things happened. I followed in her footsteps. I studied economics at Stanford. Again, why do people do things? Why are we, what are we doing as a society? What causes these things to happen? What's the real root cause? And that allows me to translate because without judgment and without inserting my own ideas, because in the scientific method, one wouldn't do that, you can come to some answers. And then I decided that understanding between two groups was something I really cared about. I care about compassion. I care about empathy. I care about people having the opportunity to lead their best lives, right, of meaning and purpose. And that applies to everyone, which is how we really spearheaded this idea of policing that works for everyone. It's achievable. It's being done some places around the nation. And I just believe it can be done everywhere. Yeah. Notwithstanding the fact that you say you feel like this is an innate gift that you have, certainly others could learn it. How would you coach someone to learn to be able to do this art of translation of uh, between two different groups? Oh, that's easy. Some people call it active listening, which is a practice. You can look into that. You can look into empathic listening, which is another practice that we're promoting. We have an event coming up called Talk with the Cops. It's an entire uh, series on empathic listening, which actually applies to justice, because if the police are not hearing people, then they can't respond in a way that's correct. And if they're not listening in a certain way, they won't know how to respond. Also, mediation. Learn mediation. There are many programs. We use professional mediators who are specifically trained in police community mediation so that they must listen in this way. So there are many tools that people can reach out to learn these skills for their community and take them back to their communities and then apply them to their own listening sessions. But don't do a large town hall. Don't do a big event where people stand up and only a few people get to speak. Bring people together, bring five, six or seven people together on Zoom, go to a park, meet someplace. We have a program called uh, Cops and Callers where the faith community and the police come together and they just talk while they walk right? Or walk with us, another program. All of these are ways where you can learn the skill and practice the skill of translating between worlds. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, Lisa, thank you so, so much for taking the time to be with us. I really appreciate your insights uh, about policing, of course, but uh, I'm also grateful for you taking a few minutes to tell us a little bit about translating, uh, because that is such a, a gift that you've got, and we all want to be able to do that better. I appreciate um, it. Before Devin, you go, would, yes. would you just take a minute and tell people how they can learn more about Police to Peace yes, and how course. they can connect with you personally? Right. Thank you. So Police to Peace is all over the Internet. Police, the number word, the number two in the word peace. You can Google that and find us. Police to Peace dot org and dot everything all over the Internet. We're on social media and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. 
providing these programs and people can reach me through our website. And so if they would like to reach out, I would love to connect. There are contact forms on the website. We have community members reaching, reaching out, faith leaders, elected leaders, all kinds of uh, policing agencies who want to learn more about the program. And we probably have a program just for them. Fantastic. Well, again, Lisa, thank you so much for being with us today. We wish you every possible success in helping to improve and, and bring more peace to the policing in, in our country. That's right. Uh, bringing wish you every bringing peace to policing in America. That's my dream. Yeah. All righty. Let's do some good. Thank you, Devin. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devonthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.